the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This is the future aspect of the kingdom. It has not arrived yet. There's a present aspect of following Christ as king, a kingdom in our hearts, but that's not all there is. There is a future aspect, and he will come to this planet again. He will defeat the enemies of of Israel. He will defeat Satan and his workers, and then he will establish his kingdom on earth out of the city of Jerusalem, and he will reign over this planet for 1,000 years. Hello and welcome once again to Verse by Verse, It's the radio broadcast that features the Bible teaching of Steve Kreloff. Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and his thorough verse-by-verse examination of the scriptures has been a help to believers of all walks of life. We're glad that you can join us today as Pastor Steve concludes this sermon in his series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have already seen that Abraham, Moses, and David were examples of men who were meek and gentle. We are going to look at two more examples, and then we will see how this attitude of meekness should impact our own lives. Let's go on to the lesson now. Now, in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, the greatest example of meekness is none other than the Apostle Paul. And I think that one of the uh, one of the, the the best illustrations of this is the abuse that Paul took from the Corinthians and how he responded to them. Not too long ago, we we studied Second Corinthians, and remember how Paul was abused by by this church. They accused him of of lying to them. Said I said you'd visit, but you're not going to do that. They they accused him of being a false apostle, of of being deceitful with money matters of preaching error, of committing shameful acts, of suffering because he was being punished by God. And and many others, they listened to the false teachers who had all these things about Paul. And how did Paul respond? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. My mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. You know what he's saying? I love you. No matter what you say about me, no matter how you treat me, my heart is open wide to you, and I'm, I'm appealing to you. Love me the way I love you. Folks, that's a meek man. And the only time Paul did defend himself at the end of this letter, he did it as an apostle, not personal. Because he realized if they don't believe he's an apostle, which was the main accusation against him, then whatever he teaches means nothing. So, so there's a defense, but only in the sense of his apostleship, not, not personal. But of all the biblical illustrations of meekness, the supreme example is none other, of course, than our Lord Jesus himself. At his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, He fulfilled the Old Testament scripture in Zechariah, which said that you'll know that he's the king when he comes riding on the, the, on a donkey. And it says that he is gentle, lowly, 
gentle. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul referred to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And here's something interesting. At the end of, of Matthew 11, when Jesus said, come unto me, all who are heavy, laden, and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He said, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is very interesting. To my knowledge, this is the only character quality that Jesus ever said specifically pertains to him. I don't know of any other place in scripture where he said, for I am loving, for I am perfectly holy, for I am righteous. Now, all that's true. But to my, for my, uh, and my understanding of this is this is the only time that Jesus drew any special attention to himself about a character quality, which makes this rather significant. And everything about Christ's life and death spoke of his meekness, everything. You see it in the way that he didn't strike back at his, at his enemies. They hurled insults at him. Judas, who betrayed him, what did he do? He called him friend. And Peter, who denied him, what did he do with Peter? He restored him to not only fellowship, but to his apostleship. Those who put him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Now, Jesus, was he weak? Absolutely not. He certainly, remember, in the temple, drove out the money changers, defended God's honor. He'd defend the poor and he'd defend others. But, but when they spoke against him personally, he would not strike back. When he stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him questions and condemned him, he was silent. Peter sums up the incredible display of Christ's meekness in First Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2 rather, when he tells us in verse 21, for since you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but notice this. This is just like the man of Psalm 37. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's exactly what David said in Psalm 37. And that's the point of this, of this beatitude. He entrusted himself to the father who judges righteously. He never fought back. He never asserted his rights. He never made any threats. He trusted God to sovereignly work out all the details and to vindicate him. So, that's what it means to be meek, humble, trusting, yielding to others, not asserting your own personal rights. Question is, though, how does this affect our life? It's one thing to know the broad general principle, but how does this affect our lives? So that leads us to the second question that helps to open up this beatitude. And it's this question, how do we apply the concept of meekness to our daily lives? Very simply put, Meekness is the opposite of, of being proud and boastful. See, meekness is a true estimate of yourself before God and before men. And that's why a proud person cannot be a meek person. Remember the great gospel message in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. Those in the kingdom will not boast. They can't boast about themselves. They didn't get in the kingdom because of anything in themselves. It's all by his grace. So the meek are not, not boasters. Proud people boast. Now, if we really believe this, then you know what? Here's how it applies. It'll free you from being an overly touchy, sensitive person. By that, I mean thin-skinned, can't take any criticism, easily hurt by what others say 
about you or or towards you or to you. Here's what Dean Martin Lloyd-Jones explained in the way of meekness and how it, how it acts. I want you to listen to this, especially the last part. He said, the man who is meek is not even sensitive about himself. He's not always watching himself in his own interest. He's not always on the defensive. We all know about this, do we not? Is it not one of the greatest curses in life as a result of the fall, the sensitivity about self? We spend the whole of our lives watching ourselves, but when a man becomes meek, he has finished all that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there is nothing worth defending. When a man truly sees himself, he knows nobody can say anything about him that's too bad. You need not worry about what men say or do. You know you deserve it all and more. Now watch this. I, I love this part. Once again, therefore, I would define meekness this way. The man who is truly meek is the one who... It's just great. Amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. You see, that's just the opposite. Folks, that, that's the opposite of the way we, we respond. We think, how dare you treat me this way? Don't you know who I am? How dare you speak down upon me? The, the meek man, what Lloyd-Jones is saying is the meek man, instead of having that reaction, says, you know what? I'm amazed that you treat me with any respect. I'm amazed that God treats me well. I'm amazed that you have anything good to say about me because in me dwells nothing good, nothing in and of myself. I'm amazed that God and man can think so highly of me and treat me as they do. See, that is the meek person. That's why he's not overly sensitive. If somebody hurls something at him that's abusive, he knows he deserves it. If they're not right in particular about that, he knows he has far other things that, that they could say about him that would be true. So if that's really your attitude, then how does it change your life specifically? Three ways. Number one, you'll be a servant to others. You won't be self-absorbed. You won't be only thinking about yourself. That's the problem with this. When we're not meek, we are consumed with ourselves. Everything is about us, how people treat us. The, the meek person is a servant to others in all walks of life and relationship. It's not about them anymore. They've died to self in their marriage, in their work, in, in church relationships. It's all about serving others. Instead of demanding that people do things for me, if I, if I am meek, then I will have the perspective of doing for them and putting them first. Paul's just summed it up in Philippians, this is what Philippians 2 is, is all about. This is the great, the great passage in which he tells us about Christ emptying himself. Listen to this, Philippians 2, verse, verse 3 and following. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, how are you going to have this? Well, you have to have the mind of Christ. You have to have a relationship with him. You have to have transformation. He says in verse 5, have this attitude or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that this is the way Christ behaved. This is meekness in Christ. It ought to be in his people. Explaining about Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his rights. He didn't say, I'm, I'm not going to earth. I'm not going to be a man. I'm going to always be in the form of God. He said, but he emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, Jesus didn't uh, empty himself of being God. He emptied himself in the sense that he no longer held on to, to the right to be in the form of God. He now was in the form of the God-man. And Paul's, Paul's point here is to say that, that his people ought to be like that. They ought to sacrifice for others. They ought to give up. They ought to be give up in the sense of yielding to others and, and sacrificing and serving them. So if you're meek, that's, that's what will happen in your life. It won't be about you. It'll be about others. Secondly, it'll affect the way you witness to other people, your evangelism, the way you share the gospel. Peter tells us this. First Peter chapter 3, it will affect witnessing. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, which means there needs to be a commitment. Make sure you're walking in obedience to him. And watch this, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And notice he says, yet with gentleness and reverence. What Peter means is that in the in the course of life, as you get to know people and you want to share with them and they know you're a Christian and they're questioning and bringing up, why, why are you a Christian? Why, what is it about the faith? You don't become defensive. You, you don't become defensive about yourself. You don't become argumentative. It doesn't become a pride thing as to, I'll show you that I know more than you. I'll show you that I can defend the faith and, and that it's right and it's not intellectually silly. And oftentimes, witnessing encounters become arguments, don't they? Contentious arguments over who gets the upper hand. I'll not be made to look like a fool. I'm going to attack you and attack you. And Peter's saying, don't do that at all. Instead, do it with gentleness. If they attack you, they attack you. They attack the gospel, they attack the gospel. But don't be defensive and reverend. Show a respect for them. Don't put them down. Paul said essentially the same thing in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26. He said, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but be apt to teach, gentle correcting others. He spoke about the same thing here. Don't, don't turn witnessing encounters into contentious arguments because of your pride. The meek person doesn't argue and he doesn't become defensive when he's personally attacked and he doesn't become overly sensitive when unbelievers make attacks upon him as well as the gospel. Don't defend the gospel so much, you present it. There's a third way that meekness affects our lives and and that is it affects the way you handle adversity in life. It affects the way you handle especially material possessions being taken from you and, and losing them. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10. If you turn back just a little bit to Hebrews 10, talking about these Jewish people who were persecuted. And he says in verse 32, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. So these people at the start of, of either the Lord bringing them to faith or some of them were maybe still in the process in enlightenment when God was dealing with them and bringing them to, to an understanding of salvation in Christ. He said, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. That's persecution. He explains what that entails. 
what that entailed, verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So there, there was some type of a public display of persecution. We don't know exactly what it was, but verse 34 says, you showed sympathy to the prisoners. So they, so they came out and said, yes, we, we take our stand with those who have been thrown in prison for the faith and accepted, watch this, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. There must have been some type of government persecution that seized their property, maybe their homes, maybe furniture, maybe what something they possessed, maybe land, knowing, the writer says, that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. How do these people handle the pain of, of losing their property, their possessions, their, their hard-earned possessions? How did they handle this? He said, knowing you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. They handled losing physical material things now because they knew they had a great inheritance awaiting them in the future. That's the inheritance that Jesus is talking about at the end of this third beatitude, which brings us now to our third and final question. What did Jesus mean by inheriting the earth? He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a future inheritance he's talking about. And what he's referring to is that when Christ returns, and he will return, there'll be the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period, then he will return. He returns to not only defend Israel, but he returns to establish a kingdom on earth. This is the future aspect of the kingdom. It has not arrived yet. There's a present aspect of following Christ as king, a kingdom in our hearts, but that's not all there is. There is a future aspect, and he will come to this planet again. He will defeat the enemies of of Israel. He will defeat Satan and his workers, and then he will establish his kingdom on earth out of the city of Jerusalem, and he will reign over this planet for 1,000 years. And that's what Jesus said Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray thy kingdom come, because it hasn't come yet, not this part. But when he comes, the Bible most emphatically tells us that all true believers, citizens of the kingdom, will reign and rule with him. That's our inheritance. We're going to reign and rule with him. We're told this in several places. Specifically, the end of the Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Paul said the same thing in Romans. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. What's the glory? We go back in verse 17, if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What he's saying is essentially, if you suffer now, you will reign with him. If as the meek, you endure hostility, understand in the future you will reign with Christ. So this third beatitude is so rich because it tells us that that those who will reign with Christ are those who will someday share in the inheritance of this world that, that rightfully belongs to him. But we're with him. We're joined to him. And you know who they are? Not those who conquer the world by brute force, but those who are the meek. Those who are the meek. The mighty and the proud may rule over the earth now, 
and they do rule over the earth now. But someday, eventually, the meek will inherit it. And who are those meek? The meek are those who have come to Christ as bankrupt sinners, grieving over their sin, and they and they alone will inherit the earth when Christ returns to rule. Specifically, we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the questions facing you today are these. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? Are you in the kingdom, in his kingdom, or out of his kingdom? If you're in the kingdom, then he's your king. He's your king now. You have repented of your sin. You have recognized that you're bankrupt. You have nothing to offer him. You don't deserve heaven. You have no merit of your own. And you are grieved over that because you know how holy he is and how wicked you are. And you come to him in in repentance and you come as a beggar, a spiritual beggar, receiving eternal life from the king. That's the only way you can get eternal life. You're a beggar coming to a king. Let's bow for prayer. Have you ever come to him as that beggar? Have you ever asked him for eternal life? Have you ever trusted Christ as the one who who died on your behalf? If not, then, then you need to. You're not in the kingdom. And if you were to die today, you would go to hell because you deserve it, as, as do all of us. The difference, though, is that some of us, some of us have seen our spiritual depravity. And we have come in brokenness before the king, and we have humbled ourselves, and we have admitted that we deserve eternal wrath. And we have trusted that though we deserve eternal wrath, Christ died and paid for all of our sins and therefore, we have asked for eternal life, and we have received it. He who, who comes to the Son, he'll in no way ever cast out. And when you come to him like that, he'll transform you. You'll be meek. Are you meek? If there's no meekness in your life, and I mean none at all, there, it's never been there, it hasn't shown up, you're, you're just a fighting person, everything is your way, then that's evidence you, you have never been born again. You've never been transformed. You, you need Christ. I, I urge you, when we close this ser- service, to just come up. Come to the front. There'll be one of our leaders there to speak to you. If you are a believer, you have entered the kingdom, then you need to cultivate meekness. How do you cultivate it? Well, you stop thinking about yourself. You discipline your mind to think about Christ. You, you forget yourself. And when people are... Uh, are abusive to you, you don't dwell on it. You get your mind on other things. When they say you're horrible this, you're horrible that, and they accuse you of this, you agree with them. It, it, it's, it's true. And if they're wrong about that thing in particular, they're not wrong about calling you a sinner. You keep preaching the gospel to yourself. That's what you do. You remind yourself of this truth over and over again and never let yourself think that, that you deserve better because you don't. You don't. Father, thank you for this very brief but so deep and rich beatitude. Lord, they, they all have been, and I thank you for this. You, you put the light of your word upon us, and it hurts. It cuts us, but it's the truth. But you cut us, Lord, to help us. You're not out to, to harm us, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And you are indeed our friend, and more than a friend, you are the lover of our souls. And you want what's best for us far far more than we do. And what's best for us is to take the low road 
and to humble ourselves. Lord, help us to remember this. Help us. As soon as we, we leave here, we'll probably be tested very shortly this week about this very issue. Someone will say something to us, criticize us, insult us, and our first tendency and inclination will be to strike back. Lord, help us. Help us not only not to strike back, but to be meek and to acknowledge that there's truth to what they say. I, I am a sinner. I'm such a sinner, so unworthy of any praise. And if people treat us harshly, disrespectfully, Lord, we agree with them. Help us to have the estimate we have before you to have it before them. Lord, Lord, get us over this over sensitive, touchy, thin-skinned way that we, we normally are. That's part of the sanctifying process, and we pray you'll do that great work because that's the way Jesus is. We pray for those who may not know him. We pray you'll draw them to yourself, you'll convict them of their sin, and you'll bring them to salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse. We hope that this lesson on meekness has been both an encouragement and a challenge to your personal life. If you would like to know about how you can develop this Christ-like character in your life, we invite you to give us a call. We would be happy to show you more about God's Word on this topic. The number is 727-239-0306. Have you wished that your life was more satisfying? Jesus taught about this issue of satisfaction in His Sermon on the Mount. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.